Welcome to the Silk Road Mountain Race Podcast, a 12-part series covering an epic new bikepacking race through the remote mountains of Kyrgyzstan. I'm Lucy Cahoon, and in the course of the series, you'll be hearing all about the race and the riders, as well as learning a bit about this spectacular part of Central Asia. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Silk Road Mountain Race podcast. With only two weeks to go until riders line up expectantly on the start in Bishkek, we'll be hearing from three inspirational bikepackers about setup, tips and their own motivation. We'll hear from Lee Craigie, ex-pro mountain biker turned expeditioner, Ed Shute, author of We Love Mountains website and expert on cycling in Kyrgyzstan, And finally, to Mark Beaumont, who broke his own record for Around the World on a Bike in just 78 days. First up, a big thank you once again to Shand Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Shand is a UK bike brand specialising in handmade steel frames, touring, expedition and on-road bikes. They do custom frames and have over 30 paint colours to choose from. Have a look at their website, shandcycles.com. Also, please remember to subscribe to the podcast, whether that's on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts, and please do leave us a rating. Don't forget to look at Twitter as well for updates on the race. First up, I'll be speaking to Mark Beaumont. Mark is a fellow Scot, but known across the world for his epic feats of endurance, not just on the bike, but also up mountains and across the seas. Mark has written extensively about his adventures and talks to me in detail about the difference between bikepacking solo and trying to break his own round-the-world record, which he successfully did in 2017, crossing 18,000 miles in just over 78 days. Mark eats records for breakfast, it would appear. Not content with that, this year he broke the record for the hour on a penny farthing. He also holds a British Empire medal. But interestingly... He decided not to go through Kyrgyzstan in his round-the-world trip, and he tells us why. Um, I'm now joined by Mark Beaumont, who, according to Wikipedia, is a cyclist, adventurer, broadcaster, documentary maker, and author. Would you say that's a fair description? (laughs) Yes, I should really check my Wikipedia page, but that much is correct. Goodness knows what it says after that. It sounds pretty busy. Um, You're also a husband and a father, am I right? Yeah, I've got two wee girls. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Oh, sweet. And are they into biking? Yes. I just uh, cycled down with Harriet to tennis this morning. So she's, uh, she's, she's, she's loving her bicycle. Willa, the youngest, is, is uh, on the balance bike, but not, not quite old enough for the, for the big bike yet. Oh, sweet. So you're going to be a pushy dad? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I mean, they'll, 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 they'll take their passions in their own directions. Um, so how do you fit it all in? And is have your priorities changed at the risk of asking an obvious question um, since being a father? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I, the, the, the professional expeditions I took on in my 20s, um, in my opinion, definitely had higher, uh, higher risk. I was away for longer. Um, 
the likelihood of you know it's that question about exposure how likely are things to go wrong and if they do go wrong how serious are the consequences and uh, some of the ocean rowing and the mountaineering and some of my earlier expeditions definitely had a higher risk profile than, than the stuff I'm doing more recently having said that I would say as an athlete I've pushed myself harder and harder so um, it, you know last year around the world in, in less than 80 days was by far the hardest thing I've done as an endurance athlete so I've, I've found a way to still push myself more than ever, but be away from the kids and my wife for, for less time. And, and and I would say the absolute risk involved is, is less. You know, it's not quite so. I would say I'm, I'm more more of a performance athlete, an endurance athlete now than a wild man adventure, which is where I started out. So you're pushing more physical limits than mental, do you think? Is that fair? No, I, no, because, crikey, I mean, the sleep deprivation and the commitment to, to do 18,000 miles in 78 days is, is absolutely psychological it's absolutely about the the mindset no it's just it's just about the it's as simple as that it's the exposure it's the absolute risk there's so much when you're mountaineering or you're ocean rowing or some of these other expeditions which is out with your control if things go wrong you know it's it's very hard to get back to safety whereas whereas you know cycling around the world yes there's there's absolutely risks involved but i've got a support team with me the whole time i was racing 16 hours a day averaging 240 miles a day sleeping for less than five hours a night for two and a half months so mentally that's as hard as anything i've ever done if not if not harder but it's just about categorizing and understanding the risk profile which is which is a different thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um obviously you're, you're best known for for your double uh, around the world trips once obviously wasn't enough um two very very different approaches so in 2008 um solo bikepacking carrying all your stuff and then last year doing it as you say with the support team so two very different styles of trip and I'm guessing in terms of pace and yeah just just experience they were very different did you have is it easy to say you preferred one to the other or what were the different motivations of both of those yeah I mean they've got they've got their sort of distinct place the first time around was the same record I mean that's the crazy thing that's the evolution of the sport in the last decade to go unsupported to go 100 miles a day for half a year was considered you know fast and record breaking and and really pushing the limit 10 years ago whereas now <laughs> that would be utterly pedestrian and I think that's the fascinating part of the sport so I've um, yeah, I've been fascinated how people took my record and record in 2008, bettered it many times, and then you know came back last year with a full support team and took it to the next level. I mean, I think as a proper adventure, an all-round adventure, the friendship of strangers, the unknown around the corner, really getting a sense of the people, the places, the culture, that first time around will always have its very special place. I mean, the first time you go on a mega expedition will always stand out. It has to. It's just the the, the, the naivety and the raw emotions involved. Whereas as an athlete second time around was much 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 tougher i mean the second time around makes the first time around look like kindergarten so um it depends which lens you're looking at it for the for the all-round adventure for, for for the book and the story and i think you know what most people would relate to i would say first time around for me selfishly as an athlete trying to put all my cards on the table and figure out the ultimate it's around the world in 80 days that was my everest they're very yeah very very different um different undertakings and i think you, you can get into all sorts of esoteric debates about what's pure and you know whether it sort of attracts different people doesn't it I think maybe a philosophy of an adventure where you're solo is obviously a completely different setup from um, having all that support at your disposal and um, yeah what you get from it is, is entirely different and I think the Silk Road mountain race possibly sits somewhere between so it's not it's not a 
just a solo adventure, but neither is it a sort of eyeballs out race. So can you see a place for a bikepacking race, if that's the right word? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, the the Silk Road and 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 many others like it have popped up in the last decade because of this generation who are wanting to go on big adventures as opposed to just you know going five bag touring and old fashioned sort of touring style, but are wanting to really push themselves as athletes. You can do both things. So this generation of adventure races, I would call them, where you are trying to push, you are trying to go fast, but ultimately you're racing yourself. You know, you're pushing yourself through these incredible landscapes and traveling ultra light, carrying the minimal kit and, you know, having a really stripped down adventure. It's just such an exciting evolution of the sport. And we're seeing it with bike packing. We're seeing it with adventure racing across all of the continents. So um, I think, so the, you, you, you know, you started by talking about the psychology and the physicality. I think people are fascinated how hard they can push themselves whilst going to beautiful places. And, um, you know, certainly Cent- Central Asia and, and parts that I've been to it, it's just extraordinary I mean the idea of coming back and just racing the man on your shoulder in races around the UK you know it's just not it's, it's not as exciting as the idea of hopping on a plane to a to a truly different part of the world and seeing it from the from the speed of a bicycle so tell us about Central Asia then um you haven't did you go through Kyrgyzstan on either of your trips no I've done a route through uh, north and south of that so I've not gone through sort of central so my first route around the world went through Iran Pakistan India and then the 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 last time around went through Russia Mongolia China so I've I've skirted it to the north and the south so there's really three possible routes going through Asia if you're doing around the world route the two I've described or the central tier which typically takes you from Baku across the Caspian Sea and then through the stands and um, I've got many friends who have taken that route, but uh, and absolutely love it. The reason I avoided it, for very obvious reasons, is very, very hilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Switzerland of Central Asia, I think, is how they describe Kyrgyzstan. So. Oh, it's meant it's meant to be ex- it's meant to be extraordinarily beautiful. And if I wasn't so earnest on cracking records, I would have been there. But uh, I need to go back there with time on my side and not trying to get around the world fast. Yeah, yeah so that begs the question then: Is that a, a an area on your map which I'm assuming either mentally or physically you've got up in your kitchen somewhere is that calling out to be discovered oh 100% I'm so lucky to have been to about 130 countries in the last 10 years and you know the more you see the more you realize there is to see and um that that all those countries in Central Asia just are crying out to be explored at the speed of a bicycle maybe I'll have to wait till the children are a bit older and see it see it with them we'll get them to you get the tag along and they get to ride you around (laughs) that'd be great Um, so tell us just a wee bit about the bike you took um, in the first trip. Um, so you used Roloff Gear Hub, I think I'm right in saying. So um, what about the advantages of that? What Any other kind of setup tips? Yeah, so first time around, you have to imagine was what I would now describe as sort of old-fashioned touring. But I did have a, a Roloff, still with a chain rather than a belt drive. Butterfly bars as opposed to drop bars, which gives you you know a, a more comfortable option you know in your, your cockpit at the front end of the bike when you are doing long hours i mean ultimately ultra endurance is about the conditioning to be able to be comfortable on the bike for a lot it's not about the legs and being strong enough it's about your backside and your hands and your feet and the contact points with the bike so the geometry of the bike and how you fit it over long tough terrain is massively important um so first time around was quite 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 an upright position quite i mean it was an an alloy frame which was on a as you say a a roll-off setup um which i would absolutely use if i was going unsupported supported again going fully supported second time around and the length of africa and other trips that i've done 
I've gone on a far more racy setup. So a carb- carbon frame DI2 electronic gears, disc brakes. I mean, the advantage these days of, of you know, 99% of people doing bike packing, adventure racing will be riding disc now just because of, you know, the, the, the reliability in tough conditions. And if you, if you, if you have any issues with breaking spokes and wheels, then it doesn't, uh, it doesn't slow you too much. So the evolution in bikes to be able to take on adventure races and events like this is, is incredible. And you've got quite a choice. Whereas, you know, 10, 12 years, ago it was basically old-fashioned touring bikes and that was your lot yeah it's something that there's been a lot of debate about in the forums and people uh, <laughs> tying out tying themselves in knots about who's taking what um another practical question just tell us quickly about the diet on your long trips so has it just been a case of um you know you'll take whatever you can find or did you kind of strategize how much to carry just in case you couldn't get resupply and also what were your favorite things to eat well anyone who riding ultra endurance needs to think about being fat adapted by that i mean you're a diesel engine you're you're sitting zone one, zone two in terms of you know power and heart rate output. So you 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 know a lot of a lot of people riding around uh, the UK you know might be stocked up with gels and bars and jelly babies, and you really need to avoid anything which is that synthetic or you know relying on sugars and and uh, very simple carbs to to fuel long rides. It takes time for your body to adapt to being fat adapted. You got to think you're thinking of yourself like a diesel engine, and um, you're looking for quite natural food sources because the first bodily function to slow down normally is your gut talk to any endurance riders or endurance runners and experienced ones and and what they'll talk about is not their legs giving up but their stomach giving up so you've got to be really kind on yourself over these multi-day trips to make sure that you can actually eat your way through them and and that's the reality of it is it's uh you know it's food for fuel it's it's uh, yes you find some treats and the things that you like but ultimately you need to just be thinking about how you keep it as natural as possible and as easy as possible for your for your for your upper gut in particular to, to to get what it needs and it's not the same as what you would take on a, a single day sportif or a, or a Sunday ride. So you haven't experienced the joys of fermented yak's milk then if you if you haven't been to Central Asia? <laughs> no I've not no I've missed out. I don't know we'll ask people at the end was there anything any one food that you discovered in, in your trips that you thought oh this is just you know you crave it and it's kind of the, the holy grail of snacks a food that i discovered when i was in iran was um oh they've got a funny name for it they've got different names in different parts of iran in 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 the northwest in the azerbaijan region they called it iran a-y-r-r-a-n and it was basically a salted yogurt and it's like a salted yogurt drink which sounds pretty disgusting but um it was um it was absolutely fantastic and uh you know i found it was you i had some some food poisoning issues when i was up in the azerbaijan region and uh, taking iran which is you know available absolutely everywhere was was sort of there something which 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 really sort of settled me and allowed me to keep being fueled when I couldn't stomach any other food so um it wasn't meant as a medicine but it was just a, a local food sort that I ended up eating all the way through so I don't know if in Central Asia they have something similar but um it was sort of a, a salted yogurt drink which sounds, sounds pretty horrible mm, okay interesting I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that uh, as an alternative to Marmite which has been my weapon of choice for years um, so super quick questions I know uh, time's against us so uh, one question do you enjoy the isolation of being on the bike um, or or is it inevitable that you're going to get either bored or lonely the, the mindset on the road for me I think is quite hard to understand for for people who have not done big cycle trips people assume you get lonely or get bored or you know it's a lot of time in your own head but you're so in the moment you're so focused on 
yeah, on, on on the world around you, on the miles you have to do, on the simple processes of ride, recovery, you know, eat, hydrate, those those parts that, you know, I can get lonely and bored standing on the London Underground with thousands of others around me, but I've never been in the middle of the Gobi Desert, the Sahara Desert, the Atacama Desert, you know, in the middle of a nowhere and, um, and sort of felt sorry for myself or felt alone. And I think it's hard to explain for people who have not been on adventures before that when you get out there, it's just a totally different headspace. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a worry or a struggle having a lot of time in your own company. It really isn't. And do you have a decompression uh, period? Does it take you a week or a month to, to come down from that adrenaline high and also just the isolation when you readjust to family life? Yes, there's an honest truth that everyone needs to face up to. It's much easier to go away than it is to come home. You know, you've got the excitement of the journey of the adventure when you when you leave home, but coming back that definitely, definitely takes you a matter of weeks, some people months to, to sort of find normality again, whatever that is. So I think it's great if you've got family and, and, and a great sense of home but um certainly in my younger years i struggled more with that sense of i spent most of my life at home wishing i was on adventures and then half of my time on adventures wishing i was at home so we're we're fickle we're fickle beasts aren't we but um it's you know i think it's become easier for me as i've gone on because i've got a great sense of home now with my wife and kids um but yes there's always a sort of a, a sort of a decompression period when you come back which is sort of unexpected it's hard to get used to okay uh, last question um so you, you're in the process of writing another book is that due out any minute now or imminently yeah it's done i've i've just finished it i've just finished it so it's uh yeah so it's out very soon and that's uh that's another sort of expedition in itself writing a book but um yeah around the world in 80 days so my question of that is is there ever a tension when you're writing it that you've discovered some amazing places there may be secret and yet you're about to tell people all about it i appreciate that not many people are going to jump on their bike to cycle around the world but do you ever get that sort of what's private and exciting for you tension about telling other people about it I've not actually had to cross that bridge. Uh, the only time I've I've been careful is when I'm telling stories which I think are private for people in the book. So it's not like I'm worried about sort of something which I wouldn't want somebody else to experience. But in my first book, the the man who cycled the world, I only changed two names in it from the real names, and one was a doctor in Iran who was very kind and looked after me. But there was some honest truths about the culture in Iran and what was happening behind closed doors. You know, a drinks cabinet and. And, uh, you know, just just Western culture and things which I didn't want him to be embarrassed about within which I think, you know, if, if it got into the wrong hands in Iran, that, that would get, uh, you know, that would that, that would be seen in the wrong light. So so just to protect his identity more than anything else, I absolutely told the stories as they were and how wonderfully welcoming and kind his family were. But, um, you know, I, I didn't give his correct name because I was talking about the fact he had satellite television and all the things that he wasn't meant to have. And then and then and then I met a girl when I was in Australia who and we had a sort of a very short romance and again I decided to change her name because she had quite a unique name and it was an interesting fun story at the time but I didn't want her friends to ever find it and tease her about it so I I sort of subtly changed her name so it wasn't too personal to her but that's the only time I've ever I've ever and I've always been open about that fact as well it's never that I don't want to tell the story it's just some on those two occasions I wanted to slightly protect the identities of the people involved. I think I was thinking selfishly that you discover the equivalent of a beautiful beach and then suddenly it's the, the dilemma of things like TripAdvisor or you know or books or social media that suddenly then it's not as private anymore because <laughs> everybody else starts, and a bit like bikepacking itself you know what what is maybe a niche sport is now quite mainstream so I guess it's all relative. I think you know I mean I, I'm a broadcaster I absolutely love sharing the story so uh, I don't really fight that balance I, I enjoy sharing the adventures you know wholeheartedly. Great okay 
so um, in four weeks' time, there's going to be 95 men and women on the start line in Bishkek taking on a 1,700-kilometer race over the mountains. Uh, what are your motivational words just as the bell goes? <laughs> it's a wonderfully scary moment standing on the start line. And thinking about the scale of the journey, your mindset's going from the macro to the micro, the big journey and how, what you have, how far you have to go ahead to the detail of the next hour, the next stint, your next meal, your next snack, your next drink. So uh, for, for me, it's just get stuck into the race. Don't worry about the finishing line and just enjoy the journey around you. You can get so fixated on where you're trying to get to that you don't appreciate where you are. Brilliant. Thank you. And that's a pretty good philosophy for life generally, I think. So, um, yes, <laughs> nice conclusion. Mark, thank you so much. Um, best of luck with the publication. And um, yeah, hope your kids don't beat you anytime soon on the bike. I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. My next guest is Lee Craigie. Lee is one of these annoyingly talented all-rounders, as well as being kick-ass on a bike. She also holds a whole load of other strings to her bow, including being a trained child psychotherapist, giving TED Talks, and setting up the Adventure Syndicate, a group of sporty women who are determined to prove society's expectations wrong. Lee is a force to be reckoned with, especially, as we'll hear, when there's cake involved. Well, I'm joined now by veteran endurance cyclist, fellow Scott, and all-around hardcore kick-ass athlete, uh, Lee Craigie. Lee, hello. Craigie, what an intro. <laughs> I'd say that's a fair summary. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, no, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, before we get into the... To the um, Silk Road Mountain Race itself and what motivates you to do it. You've just recently finished uh, the Highland Trail. Uh, tell us a wee bit about that because you had a fantastic result, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I had an amazing race, actually. Just, uh, well, an, am- an amazing ride. It was just an incredible ride. I had no idea where I was in terms of like a race standing. That was never what the Highland Trail is, is about. And it's so hard to know. You know, when you're out there, you're in your own little bubble. You've no idea where you are. So it was just it was just about me piecing all the pieces together and just, you know, a whole load of luck. And then as a result of all of those things, just and the stars aligning. Yeah, I had a I had a fantastic ride. So it's a 550 mile self-supported mountain bike race, individual time trial around the Highlands. And I took three days, 20 hours and 53 minutes to complete that. So that was riding about, so I was, so I was riding about 20 hours a day. <gasps> 20 hours a day? That's not true. That's the amount of time I was awake a day. Oh, that, that's fine then. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got to go to the toilet and buy your snacks in that time, wouldn't you? Oh my goodness. And was that like one chunk of sleep at a time or were that was that like 15 minute naps? Yeah, so that was, so for the first couple of nights, um, I had a solid three hours first night, solid three hours second night, and then and then what happened? And then it all went a little bit squirrely, actually. I can't actually remember that much what happened after that, but I, I didn't sleep that much. But I do remember lying down for, you know, 15, 20 minutes at a time after that. And I guess the danger of doing that on your own is, because I've done, well, nothing of that magnitude at all, but in long races for running, when you pass through the checkpoints, there's always somebody there, or there's enough people on the route that if you sit down to take what you think is going to be five minutes, uh, someone else will wake you up because you hear about people that have just gone to sleep for six hours and <laughs> for a race. <laughs> you weren't worried about that. 
no <laughs> no it's a funny thing happens to me when I do stuff like that I fall into a real sort of natural rhythm of what it is that's going on around me and so in the highlands of Scotland at this time of year it gets dark at midnight and it gets light at three and so I just went to sleep when it got dark and I woke up when the birds started singing or when you were being savaged by midges well it's strange isn't it because if you put yourself in that much of an emotional hole you don't even notice <laughs> That's a good indicator of quite how tough it is, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's a tough. It's a tough ride that. Um, but it's also just it's just beautiful and um, absolutely worth doing at whatever speed you want to do it at. You know, you don't have to smash through it. Um, but going fast, I think, really sort of helps with that sort of getting into that natural rhythm stuff. So yeah, I really like riding it fast and just keeping on moving. Not fast, but you know, keep keeping moving. I really enjoy that. So how do you recover from something that's just as punishing as that? Well, unfortunately, you have to sit down and eat a lot of cake. <laughs> Darn, don't you hate those ones? <laughs> I was talking to, uh, who was it? Some uh, ultra endurance athlete and they were saying you'd think that would be the good part is how many calories you've got to take on per day. It was something like 20,000 a day. And he said, actually, it's really hard and you're sitting there force feeding yourself and it's just not that enjoyable why do I have that problem I'd be prepared to give it a go <laughs> in the interest of science <laughs> um so was that intentionally part of training for the silt road or was that just a standalone thing that was in the calendar anyway it was in the calendar anyway but it all fits together doesn't it yeah I think you have to do something like that to prepare you psychologically for the long days and sleep deprivation so I mean there's quite a big gap though between May and August so I might have to do something something else as well in, in the summer um and we unfortunately we don't have time to go into like a long backstory about um your cycling uh, childhood or whatever I, I know obviously that you've come from a super sporty uh, family so I'm not sure if that propelled you but just give us a, a very kind of brief resume about uh, why cycling and of, and also what what you love most about it well, cycling because um, because my mum played racket sports and I wasn't going to do that. Um, <laughs> and so, so just actually cycling because it was my freedom. It was just a way for me to travel independently. Um, and I didn't actually start racing. I loved, I've always loved my bike because it got me places. Um, but I didn't start racing until I was like 26. Um, and then it became something completely else. So I was cross-country racing for 10 years um, full time. And then... And then as the result of that, you know, I was sick of looking at the heart rate monitor and weighing my pasta. And I thought, this isn't me. I'm, I'm an adventurer. It sort of can suck the fun out of it, can't it? It totally can. It absolutely 100% can. And, and I love that as well. You know, I really loved racing, but I always knew that it wasn't me. And I needed to get back to why I rode a bike in the first place. And that was to explore and then... Um, and challenge myself personally, not against other people, but to sort of put myself against myself. So then what, how, that's quite an interesting um, convergence of something like Silk Road or any long bikepacking, because while it's highly individual, it is obviously a structured race. So how do those things sit alongside each other? Yeah, well, I think, I think like I was explaining in the Highland Trail, there's something really nice about doing that alongside other people. So other people doing it going through that same thing that you're going through there's something very comforting in that um but but that you are completely you know um not reliant on each other you know you're just you're just there and having a shared experience and some people might look around and look at all those other people as competitors 
and and I, and I suppose if I'm being completely honest, there is a there is an element of that. I can't completely remove myself from that beforehand anyway. But when I'm out there, I really I don't give it that much thought. It, you know, this is just this is my ride and my experience, and and I, there's something in built in me that is that you and keep keep moving. You know, keep keep pushing. But that's more about what I get out of that personally. Um, if I start to open m- my thinking up to include other people and and to be comparing my performance against other people, then I lose it. I completely lose my, my thread and I, I lose my motivation. And so it's got to be about my ride. And as soon as I start comparing myself. I think that's that's really lovely with the long stuff because you might be bunched up for the first sort of 20 minutes, but from then on in, really, it is just a digging deep into your own thing, isn't it? And it's you've got the, the space, the headspace. And yeah, there's, you can only find out what's in there on your own when it's, you know, three days in and... Yeah, I like the solitude of, of it, yeah. So was there anything in particular about the Silk Road that made you put your name on the list? It was the place. I mean, the place just... Abs- I've, n- I've never been to Central Asia, but it's always really appealed. And then, yeah, just the, the culture, the, the, that nomadic culture. I think, actually, probably in a past life, I was an eagle. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, because in reading a bit about you, and it's... you've seem to be a sort of wherever I lay my hat is my home and very nomadic so yeah I wondered if you, you might in fact end up staying out there yeah I could totally I could I could see myself in a yurt hanging out on the on the nomadic plains <laughs> so yeah this might be the last ever interview I give <laughs> before you invest in a herd of yak or something it does really appeal that actually <laughs> I think I'd miss my family I'd have to I'd have to come back to to see my family occasionally but um but but yeah, the place appeals, the culture appeals, the landscape just looks phenomenal, doesn't it? No, just the sheer um, expanse of it, just vast skies and vast landscapes. And I love things that make you feel really tiny. Puts it all in perspective for you, doesn't it? So tell us about, have you got a race plan or will you just, you know, do you have, do you calculate, right, I'm, I'm hoping to cover this many miles a day or I'm hoping to sleep for this many minutes or hours a day or do you just kind of... There's so many unknowns in this one that, uh, no, I don't have any of that stuff set out yet I know what I can do in something like the Highland Trail I know what I can manage on the Tour Divide but I think there's so many variables in Kyrgyzstan that I don't know yet that I'm just going to have to wait and see and and of course I've got a rough idea like I, I know what I can get away with in terms of sleep deprivation and I know what I need to eat and I know what sort of speeds I can I can go at altitude and so I've got I've got information but I think hold on too tightly to set plan and and I'll and I'll just get um despondent i know that's always a delicate balance as well isn't it and not not sort of being beholden to a plan because yeah the minute you start dropping behind it it, it's completely demotivating but but yes if you start from nothing so i think it's a delicate balance to strike it is a delicate balance to strike but i I guess um just being kind of realistic as well just you know in, in such a in such a wild, remote, and unusual place, you know, I don't have any any sense of how it's going to be yet. I'm just going to go and keep my um, keep my eyes open. And brilliant. And in terms of the number of women, then I think at the last count there are 21 women uh, out of a start list of 95. So it actually it didn't sound that many, but that's a good yeah 20. percent It's not bad, is it? No, that is not bad at all, considering. Um, I mean, and that and that can that gap can only close. Do you think? Do you think women have any advantage in this race in particular, or in in endurance races generally? I think in in general, um, 
I've done quite a lot of thinking about this and 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 I'm sort of I'm moving away from the idea of saying that that women have an advantage over men or men have an advantage over women but I think ways of being that tend to lend themselves more to women so being perhaps a bit more patient and less explosive and and a bit maybe kinder to to ourselves you know the the and and, and staying open to to things you know being flexible and being able to multitask that's that's not exclusive to women men men can absolutely go, go down that route as well but i think um i think w- women that that take on those characteristics tend to do well and so do men. So, I mean, we do have a, we have a greater endurance capacity, I guess, in terms of our uh, metabolic rate. That that's helpful. We have a bit extra fat, so that we're less likely to <laughs> to bonk. <laughs> Although it has been known. Yeah, I mean, there's there's f- some physiological um, advantage. Like some people talk about the met just the mental toughness, or you know, I mean, it's not exclusive to people who've been through childbirth by any means, but um, have compared it to that. And just interesting that the sort of depths to which you can push yourself, women are pretty high up there. And and I think with endurance sport, the gap is so slim that that's part of the appeal, you know, because it's not a a pure strength thing where you know some sports would be clearly um, tipped towards the advantage of men. I think that's what that's what appeals to people isn't it yeah absolutely yeah and again that that sort of mindset is not exclusive to to women but i suppose you know historically hereditary over the generations you know we have been um been asked to endure one of my favorite t-shirts i saw and actually they'd sold out of it before i had a chance to buy it and it said don't think of it as losing think of it as being beaten by a girl (laughs) i so wanted to buy that i thought it was brilliant how to annoy people when racing (laughs) Um, so tell us about um, the kind of specific training for this event. I mean, obviously, you're doing other races in the calendar and you've got a um, really high level of all-around general fitness. But is there anything, you know, obviously there's altitude in this and huge amounts of climb and rough terrain and things. But have you done anything specific for the Silk Road or is it just part of your every month or, or year plan? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't. <laughs> I probably should. <laughs> I, so... Yeah, I I tend to I tend to just sort of build stuff into to whatever else that that I'm doing. So I'm going to take I'm going to take a few blocks of time just to spend back to back on on the bike, sleep outside, and carry my own kit. So I'm going to go up northwest of Scotland with some friends over the next week, and then I'm going to go to the Alps for a bit. And yeah, and 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 just and just ride, you know, not with any sort of set agenda, not looking at my watch or or worrying about you know what what when I'm sleeping and what I'm eating and stuff but just yeah just building it into your everyday life and just not stressing out about it and making sure that you arrive there injury free I think that's I think that's the most important thing and what about the bike itself so um you've had that uh, custom made for you I believe so tell us about what how you chose it because I think one, one of the most interesting things that the race organizers is looking forward to is the whole variety of bikes that people are going to turn up with yeah that is going to be interesting isn't it but my bike's the best, so... It's almost pink and it's got streamers on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, I, and I don't think that I would allow it, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm not pink. <laughs> Although that's nothing to say that, that, you know, anyone that does arrive on a pink bike, it's not going to be me. No, Jimmy has had, Jimmy the Shand has had, he's had a respray. He's now Land Rover Green. Lovely. He's, yeah, he's very handsome. I've got to build him, though. Oh, yourself? I'll build him myself, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I just took everything's off him. So I sent the phone back for a respray and the lovely boys at Shand did a fine job and then handed me back the frame with a bottom bracket and headset in it. So I'll do the rest. It's quite nice, actually, you know, to put him back together again. And so he'll have on him an eagle uh, chain set. Um, and so that's that's a massive at, at the back and 34 tooth at the front. So just one by one by 12. Um, I'm going to run a rigid carbon fort and Jones bars uh, with a dynamo, sun dynamo. Oh, OK. Yeah, I think that might be quite handy. <laughs> and uh, that is built into a set of uh, envy rims. So pretty, pretty wide envy rims. And I've not decided on tyres yet. I'm a big Schwab fan and I'm trying out some really fast rolling. So I, I normally go like really fast rolling sort of gravel type stuff with uh, Thunderbirds. But they're, yeah, we're, we'll need to just see if that new compound they've brought out is hard wearing enough because I don't want to tear it. I because you're not going to have a great deal of um, space to carry spares, are you? No, probably not. But you can always carry your uh, your sewing kit. Well, that's what Nelson advises. That was a top tip. And I guess if you, you know, cut yourself open as well, it's multi-purpose. <laughs> oh, no, I can't sew up my thigh because I've used it on my tyre side wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so what worries you, I'm not, not trying to be negative, but what would be the one concern about this race, do you think? And if, if there is a concern, what, what's your strategy for dealing with it? Well, automatically I want to see altitude, but actually I don't think that is my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that... 90 bike packers are going to smash through all of these um you know very fragile nomadic communities and not be able to accept their hospitality that's the bit that i'm most concerned about to be honest and that's the reason why i'm going out a bit early Okay, so how far in advance will you be there then? So I'm going to go out at the end of July um, and I'm going to spend a bit of time just meeting those people and um, I'm learning a little bit of Kyrgyz and just just so that I can just, you know, you don't need much, you just need to be able to make an effort. Is this so that you can go and sweep up all the cake before everyone else arrives? Shh! <laughs> I've rumbled your plan! Tell everybody this. <laughs> okay, so tell us about. Uh, obviously, it's everyone's going to have huge peaks and troughs, and um, throughout the well, seven days, ten days, however long it's going to take. But what's your own way, tried and tested method of talking yourself out of the slumps? <laughs> well, I actually did have to have a, an actual conversation, like speaking out loud to myself on the Highland Trail um, in the really? last 24 hours. Yeah, I had an actual conversation with myself. And what was happening was um, I was sort of, I was starting to ignore all the signs and symptoms of my body needing fueled. So it was just, it was hurting. Like I just felt sick and I didn't want to eat. And I knew though that if I didn't eat, then I wasn't going to get back. And so I really had to sort of, you know, talk to myself like I was a kid, you know, really talk to myself like I would my nephew, you know, I know you don't want to eat, but this is what you need to do to keep going. And, you know, think, think about what, you know, what will make you feel better. You know, really just be like, because you just don't, you know, you, you switch your rational, your ability to think rationally just switches off and you turn into a baby and um and, and there's not going to be anybody else there saying now Lee <laughs> eat this so I just need to have that plan in my head that when it comes to that and it will come to that I can go into that way of thinking and really sort of think you know think think I'm not going to be thinking rationally but just know that that that's the sort of talk that's going to get me out of that hole. Excellent um so you said you're going to learn Kyrgyz um have you learned any so far? No 
got the freeze book. I've been learning a little bit of Russian. Oh, have you? Okay. Give us, give us a wee... Um... Da. Oh, okay, that'll do. <laughs> Well, that do oh brilliant because I can't actually remember. I went out with I went out with a teenage girl whose mum is Russian, and she was she happened to be the slowest rider, and so at the, I was just sat at the back with with her for two days, and she taught me Russian. It's brilliant. Well, your other your other quick fire questions are going to be: What's the name of the fermented uh, mare's milk? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you need to know this. It's called kumis, apparently. I hope I've pronounced that right. Yeah, uh, that's the staple. It's it's mildly fermented, and uh, it sounds great. Yeah, I know, national drink. Um, and tell me where Kyrgyzstan is. So what's the what are the four countries that border it? Oh my goodness. China, Kazakhstan, um to Uzbe- Uzbekistan, is that uh-huh. one? Uh-huh. And I want to say Turkmenistan. Oh, well done. You're the only person that got all four. Do I get a head start? Uh, well, yeah, you can go now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I think that's just about it. So best of luck for your cake-eating feet. Thank you. And um, we'll see you at the end in Chong Kamin. Can't wait. Excellent. Thank you. All right. right. Good luck. Bye. My last guest today is Ed Chute. Ed is a writer and photographer and a passionate bike rider. He cycled in over 50 countries and keeps returning to Kyrgyzstan. He explains to me why he loves it so much, but also gives a cautionary note about the wolves. I'm now joined hot off the trail and still in cycling gear by Ed Shute, who uh, happens to live round the corner from me in Peebles in Scotland and is an all-round expert in long-distance cycling, bikepacking and Central Asia. Uh, hi, Ed. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> uh, where have you just been on your bike? Uh, just up to Glentress, just on the trails out there. It's such a nice evening. It was rude not to. Any micro-adventures on the way? No, not today. I, I made it out for the solstice, summer solstice. Did a bit of vivying oh. in the mountains. Oh. Most of the daylight. So that was good. But not good. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, part of the reason we roped you in, um, other than the fact that you're very local, um, is that you have travelled a lot uh, across Central Asia a lot. And... Um, I think I'm right in saying that in February, which seems ages ago already, you made it even harder than it would normally be by doing it in winter through a lot of deep snow. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it seemed a good idea at the time. Um, yeah, it's not until you land and you realise just how cold, uh, I don't know, cold, icy and snowy it was that it seemed a bad idea maybe. But I managed to get across Kyrgyzstan from the north to the south to the shortest distance. But still, um, yeah, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful, but um, hard work. So is that the plan, to do a traverse? Yeah. Um, so I set off with a, a route in mind, but the snow was a lot deeper. Um, so where the, the, the route for the race will go up to Songkul, I really wanted to go up there and see that in winter. But no one goes there in winter, so it was kind of waist-deep snow. And uh, I ignored the locals' advice and kept going, and then it got <laughs> as deep as they said it would be, so I turned around. But yeah, it would be better in summer. So Scotland hadn't prepared you, despite being very cold and snowy here. It wasn't. It was a whole other level, was it? Maybe not much more snow, but uh, minus twenty was quite. Um, yeah. Did your yak's milk freeze on the bike? <laughs> Everything froze. The cheese. The cheese froze on the bike. <laughs> cheese, oh crikey! So yeah. why why do you keep going back? So tell us a bit about how many times you've been there, and your you know because you've done a whole east to west, west to east trip. So what keeps drawing you back to the region? Um, it's funny. The first time I went was literally because it was in the way I never really had any ideas about Central Asia um, but I wanted to cycle to China then on to Nepal 
and I, I just arrived in Central Asia, rode across it and was blown away by how friendly people were, the landscapes, the dry weather was great for bikepacking because you hardly ever get rain out there, so it makes it really nice for riding bikes. Um, and yeah, just since then I've been hooked and I, I wanted to go back and explore so many little regions within Central Asia and, and I've gone back and explored the bits I missed on the kind of long trip right across the area. Um, so yeah, I went back to the Pamir Highway, um, which runs into Tajikistan down to Afghanistan, um, which is just mind blowing, absolutely beautiful. And then I went back and did the Altai, a little loop around the Altai Republic, um, and the Altai Mountains. Uh, and then finally down to south of Central Asia, which was into, uh, Tibet and into China um, and Uyghurstan. So do people recognise you now when you go? <laughs> <laughs> no. They might do after the winter trip. I kept getting a lot of crazy guy, crazy guy comments. <laughs> <laughs> so people have said a lot about the hospitality. Um, and, and did you encounter that then? Did people invite you in and feed and water you along the way? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've always had yeah great reception from people um, when I've been there. Sometimes it yeah, yes. you have to not get carried away and, and say no and just keep going and, and realise, especially in winter, a lot of people had very little to offer. Um, mm-hmm. So a guy took me in to, to stay for the night and all he had was just, just bread to eat. So wow. um, so it's easy to forget sometimes just how poor people are. And, and yeah, it's it, I left him with hot chocolate chassis and cup oh. of soups and things because I felt sorry for him. Good trade exchange. Well, I don't think he was very impressed. Come Brexit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, he was an aggressive cup of soup. And how's your Kyrgyz, have you learned? Or do you speak any Russian at all? Or what what got you by? (laughs) The first time I was there, because I'd cycled um, from Turkey, and the language is Turkic, so uh, I knew the numbers 1 to 10, and a few phrases that were very similar across Central Asia. Um, So that helped, and then over the years I've forgotten all of that. So I know a few words of Russian, which gets you by a certain degree, but um, a lot of it's just hand signals and smiling and being mm-hmm. nice to people and, and have you noticed at all any increase in the number of cyclists like during your winter trip for example did you see any other tour cyclists bike pack so the the Pamir is really busy with cyclists these days um and it's it's getting quite well set up for it um lots of homestays and i don't want to say the word infrastructure because that implies there's something there but um pe- yeah people have got provisions to, to cater for the cyclists coming now in winter <laughs> it was um I was told I was the first cyclist they'd ever seen in Narin where I stopped there Wow! Um, in the winter, which I'm sure isn't true, but um, it shows how infrequently people... You might become cycle. a legend like the Yeti, the Scottish Yeti. cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> Cartoons will be written about you. They probably thought I died, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know you've uh, expressed sort of views on the magnitude of the route that Nelson's put together and just what an amazing but also a really daunting challenge it is. So given your experience of the terrain and the temperatures, altitude, things like that, what would your advice or kind of top tips be to people undertaking it? Um, Just don't underestimate it, I think, is probably the key. There's some of the route goes through some very remote areas. I've not ridden all of it, but the bits I have ridden are are remote enough and I know Nelson's taken it into some more... Some more remote region uh, regions around the Chinese border, especially uh, that area is is so far from anywhere. Um, so just be prepared for anything is kind of my advice in terms of medical uh, first aid kit and provisions like that. It's it's yeah not something to skimp on. I think if you yeah inevitably people get sick out there. Unfortunately, uh, the hygiene standards aren't aren't great when there's no running water in in most of the, the parts you'll visit. It's yeah it's inevitable at some point you'll get sick and just 
don't try and push it too much and too hard because mm-hmm. things can get serious very quickly out there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is is food. Make sure you've got a decent amount of food, I think, is, is key. You don't rely on the next shot having what you expect or what you want. Um, and I think um, if you're well prepared, it'll be... It'll be fine. Because yeah. somebody had written about you that you like to travel fast and light, and I was wondering how that competes with <laughs> bikepacking in Kyrgyzstan. Well, I'm sure people on this race will go lighter, but um, yeah, it's a balance, I guess. I take very lightweight kit, so sleeping bags, tents. I'm lucky enough to be supported by some brands that give me some really nice kit as well. Um, so the bike's light, the camping kit's light. I don't take many changes of clothes. And then with food... I, I take, I'm just sensible taking really compact mm-hmm. food like oats is always a good one, couscous, things like that, and try and squeeze it into a full frame bag. I usually take, um, and you use a lot of that for food. Spaghetti is another good one for that. Just having those base carbs and, and making sure you've got that and then topping it up wherever you find along the way. So do you take a stove with you then? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, petrol, yeah, petrol stove's the best option, I'd say. If you're going to take a gas stove, yeah, fish cake. We'll be fine for getting gas, right. I'm sure, but it's it won't be super straightforward. And outside of there, then it's quite a challenge to get gas. So, um, obviously, you can't fly with gas. So, yeah. picking up locally, it's easy to get petrol. Basically, you can get anywhere. And did you just do um, water purification tablets rather than boil it up every time, or what did you do for water? I took a filter bottle actually, okay. one of the kind of the new generation of nanotechnology kind of filter bottles. But <laughs> maybe that's why I got sick. But they <laughs> 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 seem to. I think they work. Uh, so yeah, I filled up with that and then yeah, I had a big bottle of dirty water and used that top the dirty water into the clean filter bottle. Wow. And then uh, when I was really unsure about it, I'd had some tablets as well to mm-hmm, put into mm-hmm. um, and treat it. But then yeah, lots of boiled cups of tea and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the other good thing. When you stop, you'll get offered chai and tea. And, and when you get chai, it's boiled, so you can accept it. Yeah, really yeah. Nice. And any beasties or uh, wildlife to, that that you came a cropper with? No, not really. Uh, trying to think. No. Midges, mosquitoes. No, it's so dry out there. It's it's not really that. There's a yeah. No, Kyrgyzstan was fine. Kazakhstan, I found a few nasty spiders that got into my kit, which I didn't oh enjoy. But yeah, Kyrgyzstan. I really. I think this winter trip, I was warned about wolves by the farmer I'd stayed with. He wouldn't let me camp because I think in the winter the wolves are hungrier and more desperate and come down. Wow. There's not that many, I don't think, but. In winter, it's harder, but in summer, um, yeah, I, I'm sure they wouldn't cause any problems. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> they are they are out there, especially the, the remote bit by the Chinese border, I think. Um, but yeah, never, I've heard wolves, but I've, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never had any problems. So. And security-wise, in terms of being near the border or just encountering remote areas, did you have you ever had any difficulty or challenges from local police or anything like that? So this winter was the first time I had any problem. I was raided by the... The Kyrgyz anti-terrorism squad, as they called themselves. And uh, they, they stormed into my room just as I was leaving. And uh, they proceeded to get quite angry and uh, took my passport. And then there was a misunderstanding that they thought my Russian visa, which had expired because I travelled to Russia earlier in the year, was for Kyrgyzstan. And they got quite concerned that I was there illegally. Yeah, things got a little bit tense, let's say, and they implied that I had to go to jail with them and oh to the police station and yeah it got all a little bit manic then they made a phone call checked a few things and at some point they worked out it was all okay but they just kept winding me up for the fun of it <laughs> and then at the end of it they burst out laughing <laughs> while well, you were saying your goodbyes yeah <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, so that was, I actually punched one of the guys, like, in a joking way at the end, because it, it was just wound me up so much, but anyway. Oh, their stuff. sense of humour, those wacky Kyrgyz people. Um, and what about adventures then for this year? Because obviously you've, you've travelled, is it over 50 countries now? Yeah, so yeah. And, um, and I've read that you're kind of staying a little bit closer to home now, so what's Scotland got that is keeping you here? <laughs> Other than a baby, a I should baby. I should hasten to add. Yeah, I'd be out there in Kyrgyzstan <laughs> if it, well, yeah, if it wasn't for a recent baby. Um, but yeah, we've we've got a bike trailer all set up, so we've got some slightly easier adventures planned um, in oh. Scotland, exploring some with the baby on the back uh, in the trailer. Oh, actually. sweet! So later in the year, so yeah, we're planning a few bits and pieces. Nothing too uh, adventurous at this stage, but um, yeah, I, I've got an aim in my mind to, to cycle across every country in Europe and. We're most of the way there, and there's a few countries that we've not visited, and I think there's a good chance to, to take the trailer and visit those corners of Europe. So we're going to be doing some of that this year, um, then a trip to the States and a few other bits and pieces. Wow. Yeah. Always busy, always plotting. Always plotting, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, okay, well, just for a wrap-up, um, you've said that Kyrgyzstan is your favourite country. Um, obviously, mentioned hospitality. Are there any other words to describe the impression that's made on you? I, I just it's great to have been there for every season of the year so the first time I went was autumn and all the herds of goats and sheep were coming down off the mountains and everyone waved and, and said hello and all, all the horses um, then I've been in kind of earlier in summer springtime and the pastures are green and the yurts are out the, the animals are grazing everyone's kind of having a good time and it's just beautiful and then I went in winter when it was hard work but the kind of snowy steppe landscape with kind of the, the horses still out there grazing, trying to find some under the snow grass to eat, and it's just it's just amazing. Wow. Like, just every season's been fantastic. So, yeah. do you think you'll be awarded citizenship or dual nationality or something? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Get your own eagle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the one thing I haven't said. I, I saw the eagles, the eagle hunters in Mongolia, but um, the like, um, is it cool? Is is yeah, Kyrgyz eagle hunters, which. Maybe I'll go back and see them. Wow. Well, the riders have to pedal quickly around that bit, just in case. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. Listen, thank you so much. And um, yeah, well, we hope that people get as much out of their trip and the country as you have. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Silk Road Mountain Race. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you also to our guests for taking part and a huge thanks to Bjorn Westra, our editor, for doing so much work to pull it all together. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and give us a rating or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the race, have a look at the website, silkroadmountainrace.cc and also see the show notes. You can follow the race on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks very much for listening and we hope to have you along for the next episode.